Hi, everyone. Welcome to Connected Learning TV. This is the second webinar of our November 2015 series titled Supporting Connected Learning Experiences in Minecraft, which is organized by Connected Camps. If you're watching this, please take a moment to share it out with your networks. I'm Randall Fujimoto, and I'll be your host for this webinar. I'm the director of Game Train Learning, an educational nonprofit organization that promotes game-based learning and education through teacher education, game-based learning curriculum development, alternate reality games, and educational documentary machinimas that overlay oral history narration on top of animation created using 3D sets built in Minecraft. Today we're talking with Barry Joseph, Gina Grant, and Diane Main about how Minecraft can support project-based learning in a wide range of environments. But before we get into our discussion, let's go over a couple of quick details. So to those watching live right now, we welcome your comments and questions through either the Twitter hashtags Connected Learning and CCAMPS or the Q&A feature that you should see uh, within the video player. We'll do our best to address your questions here in the Google Hangout. This webinar is also being co-streamed at the National Writing Project's EducatorInnovator.org site. So to kick off our webinar, let's uh, start off with some introductions. And uh, I gave mine already. Um, why don't we do ladies first? And uh, I guess from my left to right, what I'm seeing is Gina, Diane, and then Barry. So Gina, you want to start us off? Hi, my name is Gina Grant. I am the Senior Manager of Digital Engagement at the Chicago Architecture Foundation. Um, and super excited to be a part of this call. We've been doing some uh, pretty, what I think is pretty incredible work with Minecraft EDU in our studio space and have run a number of camps and challenges. Hi, I am Diane Main and I am Director of Learning Innovation and Design for the Upper School Campus at the Harker School in San Jose, California. And I also teach a class in our Computer Science Department in which we use Minecraft to do a series of projects that help students learn about concepts in computer science and design thinking. And I'm Barry Joseph, located here in New York City. I'm the Associate Director for Digital Learning at the American Museum of Natural History. And I've been using Minecraft for learning in informal but structured uh, settings for just about five years at this point. Okay, great. Let's, uh, let me just kick off this webinar with uh, kind of a first general question for all of you. And, and feel free to, to jump in wherever you like. Uh, so first question. What are some authentic, real-world, project-based learning experience involving Minecraft that you or someone you know has done? So who'd like to start take that? Oh, I, I will. Um, I think one of the things that we've done um, has been around um, dealing with civic engagement in Minecraft. So we do design thinking with our students, and we, I'm very excited that we also publish in, into a challenge. But get students to think around their communities and how they might be able to uh, improve their communities. We partner with an organization called Civic Artworks, which allows any citizen to propose a campaign for how to propose their improve their community. And it links that, that campaign to the elected official and then it allows for constituents to then vote and say, yes, they want that campaign. So we took um, a project that had been done in high school called Regenerate Neighborhoods, where high school students authored those campaigns. You had to be at least 14 to be on that platform, and our middle school students didn't meet that requirement, so we used Teen Voice 
and then the middle school students were able to deal with a real world issue of how to improve a community and we focus on park design so we had those students meet with landscape architects um, visit a park create site plans go through the design process but they rendered these real world solutions in Minecraft so they basically took a client's um, idea of how their community can be improved and then designed it in Minecraft. And Gina, that's great. That reminds me of something that was started a few years ago uh, in New York um, through a partnership that was done by uh, Global Kids, which was okay. an after-school organization where I used to work, and uh, Brooklyn Public Libraries. And uh, they called it Hungercraft, and anyone who knows um, young people in Minecraft know one of their the popular activities is reproducing Hunger Game type activities uh, where they battle. But what the library was interested in was actually, as a library, the books and the ideas uh, behind this world that had been created um, by the author. And this idea um, that was postulated in the books and the movies, for those who are familiar with it, that there was this uh, uh, injustice of resources um, throughout society with the capital having all the goods and, and these um, uh, districts that, that each focused on different areas. And the, the idea of where the Hunger Games came from, the actual battling in the books, was because there was one of the districts um, that rebelled. So the idea uh, for this day-long program using Minecraft was to put youth inside that district that rebelled before the rebellion and put half of the youth in that district and half in the capital. Uh, and the way the dynamic was set up in Minecraft was that um, the ones were in the, that were in the capital had all sorts of goods and resources and had the abilities to process the food, but they didn't actually have the food. And the folks that were out um, at the district um, were um, able to produce food, but unable to actually do anything with it. So they needed each other. Mm -hmm. But the difference was that the folks in the district had weapons. Uh, excuse me, the ones who, who were in the capital had weapons. So they were entered into the environment. Half the youth were in one room, half were in another room. And then they were just told to see what was going to happen. And over the course of the, the, the few hours, the youth had to make decisions about what they were going to do. Who was going to choose to trade? Who was going to choose to use those weapons to extract additional resources? Who would sneak into the capital and explode it? Who would leave the district and live off in the woods? And at the end of that, that those two hours, which were really powerful and intense, we then got to process and talk about what does this look like in the real world? And they talked about everything from the French Revolution to, um, to the Arab Spring, which had just happened a few months earlier. And they were able to look at how different people can make different decisions around injustice and how being in Minecraft, being in this constructed setting, they were able to see what decisions they made and reflect on it. Some of them were proud about what they did, some of them were ashamed and they, they apologized to the others about what they did and were able to learn from that experience. Barry, I think that, that's very interesting um, and we had a similar um, experience where I realized that Minecraft could be used for social justice and when we had students deal with sustainability, we gave them limited resources a limited amount of land um, and their task was to survive an inhospitable world. We gave them a certain number of days and nights. We tried to prompt them with different roles like someone needs to be a planner, someone needs to do, um, but their task was they had to keep their villagers alive and the world was created where more villagers were spawned so they needed to think around farming, around building and providing and we said they needed to keep them alive. Um, we didn't say how they needed to keep them alive and so what I found incredibly interesting and, and also disturbing was that um, the villagers began to be buried um, up into their neck um, and then the others that they hadn't buried they confined them into prisons um, which was like 
in a gaming mentality, it's fair. I kept them alive, but wow, what different. And so we did get into um, the social justice and the other issues that came about it, but that really caught us <laughs> off guard when we first did that that program. Yeah, we, we, we did one. Yeah. Sorry, what's that, Gina? I was just saying, it, we didn't get the intent of what we thought. I mean, we thought, like, and we did address, like, what is needed to sustain, like you needed a home. We thought maybe they deal with some other issues. We hadn't anticipated that they would begin to bury them. That's intense. Yeah. We did a program here at the museum where um, the young people were challenged to choose whatever science topic they wanted, you know, from from um, astrophysics to, to zoology, um, and see how they could explore it in Minecraft to teach others about it. And one of the groups uh, were really inspired by Viking culture, so they wanted to try and reproduce the experience of what it was like to be a Viking. Um, and on one hand, they were reproducing the mythologies. They, they created the, the bridge to Valhalla, and they did the, they showed what the afterworld was like. But before you got there, you got to be living in a Viking village that went to on one of the ships to another town and burn it all down and take people back as slaves. And there was a lot of debate within the, within the, the program about was it okay to represent that? And at and, and what point are they representing something that's factual, that's historically accurate, uh, but still sensitive? And how do, they, how do they address that? So how do they make these essentially non-player characters, the, the, the villagers, uh, be in this enslaved state? And how do they present it to the players in a way that doesn't look fun, uh, but at the same time is, is engaging and educational? Uh, you both have described some pretty intense, uh, but very engaging because of their intensity uh, scenarios. Uh, I've seen a few things that people have done that aren't as intense, but I think pull in some very important real-world skills, such as global collaboration. I know John Miller had his students um, writing Japanese tanka poetry, and then uh, he had uh, Melvina Kurashige in um, Hawaii. Her students were teaching his students from a distance, but inside Minecraft, about Japanese culture and history. And then James uh, York's um, students were translating their poems from English into Japanese. And these were people in three different places that were working with these kids in King City, California, who were like, oh, cool, there's people all over the world that are interested in my little poems that I'm writing. Um, and John actually does a series of really cool things. But some of what I think Gina mentioned um, reminded me there's a, I know there's a world that has to do with uh, like it's a water challenge and there's a limited amount of water and, and I, th I know there's like there's a water source and then you've got to figure out how to keep it sustainable and have all your practices around that um, not threaten the sustainability of the of the limited water supply and uh, I know Shane Asselstein also he's in Hawaii as well did a um, he has his kids they have to design a zoo he has he uses a few mods to add in additional animals so they're having to do all this mathematical work around um, like what's the ideal number of members of a particular animal's family to be in a family unit, how much space each animal needs, what you know resources are required. But um, he, when he described it last year at ISTE, the kids came up with other things that then needed to be considered and it caused them to have to do more math but they were totally into it mm -hmm. and, I, and, and then they wanted to expand on some other things like some design factors and other stuff and so they took something that he thought this will be a good application of certain math skills and they brought in more math skills and then brought in other things and it ended up kind of exploding into something really very cool mm -hmm. um, and I know he shares a lot of his resources online so uh, and he's, he's on Twitter and stuff you can find him but I love when uh, that kind of thing happens where kids want to take it farther because they're so engaged. 
That's great. You mentioned, uh, Dan, you mentioned sustainability. Uh, and Gina, you mentioned um, Minecraft EDU. Uh, we've also worked with um, Joe Eleven from, from Minecraft EDU, and they, they brought over their sustainability module, which was a really fascinating experience to, to see the young people work through. He creates this kind of science fiction scenario where, uh, in the future, um, uh, humanity's, I think it's, they're living out in space because uh, we've done such a bad job on the planet. Mm. Uh, if we can get enough resources going uh, on the ground to, to create a, a, a new, a, re, a renewed, sustainable uh, um, environment, the resources can, can exist to bring the humans back and say, come on back, it's working. But to notify them, they have to also cut down the trees to, pow to create the fuel for the ship. So some of the youth are trying to cut down uh, uh, the trees so they can notify the humans. The other ones are trying to not cut down the trees to, to make it sustainable. And it created a really beautiful balance and a, and a meaningful decision point for the youth uh, playing that in that um, constructed map to really bring out the ideas of sustainability and allow educators, like the science educators and our staff to really bring the point home. Yeah, these are some great, uh, some great real-world world projects that you guys have have done and have have shared. Um, one question I have is that uh, all these projects, it they cover a wide range of topics from math to Japanese poetry to sustainability to civic engagement. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, not just the content that the kids are learning through these projects, but also what else are they getting out, out of these projects? What life skills or other things are they getting through these projects? Well, definitely problem-solving skills. Um, uh, the, the series of projects that I do with Minecraft in my computer science class there's other things that happen in between and some of the sort of cause and effect relationships they need to understand and some of the conditional uh, statements basically that are formed by well this can't happen in the Minecraft scenario until this first has happened whether that's crafting an iron pickaxe and you have to go and mine for iron ore and get a bunch of other tools made first or some much more complex thing like making a cake or you know creating some kind of intricate redstone uh, contraption, right? There's a lot of um, logic and and conditional situations and um, like loops and different things that you can describe in programming just by using processes in the game and then I transfer that to some programming activities that we do outside the game and then pretty soon actually in my, in my, current, my, current, my current semester I use the, the turtles, you know, uh, the computercraft edu mod uh, to have the students programming turtles. But if they haven't already encountered problems and had to solve problems kind of the hard way first, then they don't always benefit of being able to program a robot to do something for you, which, you know, it lends itself to uh, kind of real-world adaptation as well. You know, at some point, students are going to want to program anything. Well, we used to program a VCR, but anything from a household device to maybe it's going to be their job that involves robotics, right? Um, program some part of an assembly line machinery. And so uh, that, that kind of thing and, and any kind of problem solving and figuring out how am I going to get out of this situation or what, how can I make this situation better, that kind of thing is rife throughout any uh, gameplay in Minecraft. I mean certainly Minecraft, we can spend an hour listing probably all the different uh, digital, technical, and 21st century learning skills that that it affords, um, and the different ways different programs can pull that out. But personally, one of the things that excites me the most about using Minecraft with young people is what it teaches them about learning itself. 
right? It doesn't matter what we do with Minecraft and how much we structure it and uh, 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 bring it into our institutions. At the end of the day, Minecraft is theirs, and they know it. Their generation Minecraft, right? This is their game. This is their culture. They're reading books about Minecraft. They're watching the YouTube videos about Minecraft. And we are bringing their culture into our spaces. And so for them to learn that what they love to do, what drives their passions, what, you know, what ignites their interests, can also be a, a side of learning. Um, and and to, to allow an experience with us, with Minecraft, to be an experience that they have where they can both have fun, be involved deeply in the culture that is so meaningful to them, but also be, whether, as we mentioned before, learning about science or being engaged civically, and see that connection. I hope that, that many of the kind of projects that we're talking about today and are being discussed over the, the course of this four-port series will help young people, when they're not with us, understand that learning isn't something they're forced to go do when they're at school, and then they get to lead the rest of their lives outside it, but that learning is something that they get to be in charge of wherever they go, uh, and that it can be deeply connected to their passions and interests. Yeah, I, I agree with with both what um, what Diana and what Barry ha have said. I think it it also teaches them resilience. I mean, it it you're talking about a game that has no user manual and no how to. I mean, so they're going out and um, collaborating. They're problem solving. Um, they're really having a lot of fun. And some of the learning, I would say, that they're not even aware is happening. You know, so in the background when they're solving problems. They're, in some cases, coding and doing Linux or learning um, computational thinking or any number of things. I know we're big on um, focusing on project-based, I'm sorry, on um, design thinking, but we also require that when we do work that they not yell across the room, so like they have to, we challenge every student to write in the game, so they're learning obviously the, the fundamentals of the communication, but I think they're also just really learning how life skills, right, what happens if you run into something you don't know how to do. They're asking for help, they're also getting great opportunities to you know, pop their collar to show off what they can do well. And I think far too often they don't get that opportunity to kind of highlight, you know, you got the jocks and you have a different areas by which you can excel and show off. But Minecraft gets kids an opportunity on a daily basis to kind of present what you know how to do and then to share and collaborate. So I think it's just, a, it's pretty incredible to me. Yeah, and Gina, just following up on that, well, we haven't done that here at the museum. Many uh, educators I know who are using Minecraft are really letting the leadership uh, opportunities emerge by giving them the power to run their own servers. Yeah. Um, but my son, when he turned eight, uh, had a Minecraft LAN party. The LAN party is when all the computers can be connected. Um, and he made his own code of conduct, um, things like no one's allowed to kill anybody and no spawning hostile mobs and uh, don't look at other people's chests without asking them. And this gave him an opportunity to not only take on the leadership, to think about what does it mean to um, make things go well for a group of people, it, mean, it meant he had to think about civic behavior yeah. And the idea that civic standards are required and you have to create them and communicate them if you want to uh, um, have people beha uh, behave in, in a way that, that's uh, beneficial for, for the whole group. Yeah. I mean, they really do. I think when we do our camps, we talk around in-class norms, but then we also talk what's acceptable, and the students create what's acceptable in a, in a Minecraft world um, so that they understand. And then they police themselves until the, the point, like, they're, they're monitoring and they're, they're definitely solving the problems and also talking about what's acceptable behavior. It's funny, near the oh, end of last, sorry, near the end of last semester last year, um, I kind of did a little social experiment with a little bit of time we had left to get in and we were, at, theoretically I was trying to see how many economics principles we could touch on in a game of Minecraft, but we were creating a little society and these two guys said, 
we're going to be the police, we're going to go build a police station. And I said, okay, but you guys haven't decided on any rules. <laughs> you haven't decided, like, why do you need police? And they're like, because yeah. you know people are going to start doing this and that. And I'm like, okay, I think you're putting the cart before the horse here. But they were like, they knew that there was a need for that mm -hmm. even before we had talked about norms or mores or anything. So mm -hmm. I, I, that ended up being a whole conversation in itself. And yes, they have a they have a desire for that. They want structure, but at the same time, to have some agency in deciding what that structure might look like. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we have. Uh, let me get to a quick question from Twitter since uh, uh, before I forget. There's a question for Gina. Uh, I like the idea of using Minecraft for civics. That's unique. Is there a sample lesson plan that we can access on the internet? So what I did is, um, yes, we took the um, the Minecraft challenge where we dealt with civic engagement and took it and made it a design challenge on our platform called uh, discoverdesign.org. So I posted up there that um, it's a challenge that asks students to deal with um, a public space, so it could be any public space, and to use it, use Minecraft to solve that public space. So the design challenge, along with resources that we use to do the project, are in are on our platform for individuals to use. Okay, great, thanks, thanks, Gina. Uh, Randall, uh, could I follow on to that? Um, yeah. I put this in our chat. Uh, some of the things that I mentioned earlier, and I think um, some other people made reference to, I know on the minecraftedu.com website, they have a world library, and there's a lot of pre-created materials created by either teachers or teachers and students, and a lot of great ideas. I wouldn't say always use something someone else has made, but it's a really good starting point, and you can kind of window shop and get ideas for how you might make connections in your own curriculum. Yeah, very good, Diane. Really, a lot of good worlds on minecraft.edu over there. Um, and a lot of good ideas that, that you can borrow from. And there's also the Minecraft Teachers Group, uh, Google Group, if you're not part of that yet. Uh, so go and join the, I don't know how many thousands of teachers that are on there. Uh, Barry had a great point about Minecraft um, teaching kids how to, uh, they're learning how to learn. And question for, for all of you, um, in your projects that you've done using Minecraft, uh, how much autonomy did you give to them to go ahead and build their learning experience based on your guidelines. Did you give them a lot of freedom, a lot of autonomy, or did you uh, have to rein them in some, sometimes, or how did that work? Because not all of my students had played Minecraft before, and I have um, high school students, mostly 10th, 11th, and 12th graders, um, some of, first we, we had to make sure everybody knew how to move around in the world, interact with the world, uh, and to, to, to that end, there was sometimes a more experienced student teaching a less experienced student or, or a complete noob how to even function, right? So for our first project, um, I, I had them in what's called Minecraft EDU mode. It's sort of between survival and creative. And they still had to use like the right tool for the job and, and certain materials, but they also uh, didn't have to worry about their health and hunger, right? So it was kind of a safe kind of uh, ramp up learning space. But then when we get into our design thinking project and they're actually building houses for each other, each person is both a designer and a client, um, I put them in creative mode at that point, but we have had conversations about whether or not I should turn on fire and TNT, because sometimes they want to make lava fountains. But all it takes is, you know, one or two misplaced blocks of TNT to destroy someone's work, and you can't undo, right? So 
we've had interesting conversations about whether or not we think we're ready for certain things. And depending on even how seriously they take that conversation, I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced and I, and I won't, you know, make that setting available to them. Um, but I've had classes argue in favor of having that setting in place and turned on and they were fine with it. And so I, I give them that chance to say, okay, show me why this is something that's that I can trust you with. And that's just one specific thing, but they'll ask, can we turn on this or can we turn on that? Uh, and I'll say, okay, what, talk, talk to me about why we need that. Why is that important to you? Uh, what do you need to get? Um, and if they're in creative mode and they're like, well, we need monsters on so I can kill spiders or string, I'm like, you're in creative mode. You don't need spiders or string. And they're, oh, okay. So I'm trying to like get them to make the case for things. Um, because they realize, I mean, they're still playing a game in school, and for my kids, that's kind of new. Sometimes they get a little carried away, and we kind of have to rein that in. So it just really depends on the group and on the day and, I don't know, the phases of the moon sometimes. <laughs> I like that, phases of the moon. Yeah. <laughs> so for us, we're offering programs here at the museum where, you know, a few thousand young people come for after-school programs and summer camps, and we have our own learning culture here. So when we're doing something with Minecraft, we always have to figure out what is the right balance for us between a tightly constructed, you know, even if it's project-based, uh, youth development-informed, uh, informal science engagement experience versus the kind of, you know, free-range experience they're used to at home with Minecraft and how do we find that balance in between. Sometimes we end up on the side of the, the tightly structured experience. So, for example, um, we had them do an experience actually quite similar to what, what Gina referenced earlier where the young people had a space and they had to farm and they had to kind of make sure they had enough resources for their community but this was all about actually farming. We wanted to teach them about the global uh, uh, have a, give them a global perspective on food development from a, both a science and a cultural perspective. So while they were you know farming and selling stuff in their local local village uh, market um, every day they had to hit a certain goal or, or they weren't going to survive. And then we actually took them over to an exhibit that was about that very topic in the museum, about the science and culture of, of food around the world. And there we introduced them to large, not only the things they had just been doing in the, in the games, they got to see things about you know, rice, for example, rice manufacturing rice, but they also learned about global trade and how much food is wasted in the global food chain. Now when they went back into Minecraft, we opened up the world and now there was a port where new, new uh, food resources were coming in, there were new markets overseas that were that was paying different amount for the things they were creating, and that was a really tightly structured experience where we were able to explore how could playing the game develop a need to know around the content of an exhibit, how could the exhibit itself give them something that could help them play the game, and could the two essentially inform each other and become bigger than the sum of its parts. That couldn't be a free-floating experience. On the other hand, we did something completely different where we said, okay, we have this exhibit that's about poison, there's poison in Minecraft, there's poison in the real world. Let's go to the exhibit, learn what you can, and then build whatever you want to teach people about poison. And they created things like the International Center for Poison Detection and uh, the Poison Library. <laughs> and all independently came up with these, these interesting things on the wall that would show things like an apple or zombie flesh and say which ones were real in Minecraft, which ones were real in the real world, and which ones were in both or neither. Um, one of them had a place where you can test uh, poisoning pigs in Minecraft and then test poisoning cave spiders. And if you don't know, the spiders aren't affected and the pigs don't die, they just you know, slow down. So that was a, an open experience where we said, okay, yeah, no, no explosions, no, 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 P, no PvP, but, but you have 
a challenge in front of you, you can do whatever you, you can see what you can do to come up and uh, uh, and meet that challenge. And then they would then teach us about how they thought about Minecraft as a place to play, as a place to learn, as a place for them to express themselves and, and teach others. Yeah, I I would say I've I've seen some similarities in both how we've done it. We've definitely related it at the Chicago Architecture Foundation to the built environment um, because that's where you know where we can provide them with the experiences of taking them on architectural tours and then leveraging our content because we do have a lot of content for the built environment. So we we do a bit of negotiation because I agree that, and we use EDU, so I think some of the times that's even just a hurdle to overcome because they're like, no, we want the real Minecraft. And so, um, But I think as far as with some of the creativity or the flexibility, um, we might, as a challenge, or do different mini-tasks, ask students to build a tripartite structure, you know, a structure or building that's built in three parts, the base, the shaft, and the capital. But then they're given complete autonomy as to what it looks like. Oh, I think we said we needed three different materials, but you can create any structure, but it had to be within that those confines. Um, there's also times where once they achieved all the end task games. So the other thing is building with constraints. You know, um, we don't want the sharks in the kitchen or the in the case of the public space, the roller coaster in the middle of the street. Like really, I don't think your neighbors or the community really wants that roller coaster there. So they they do deal with the constraints, but then we will give them time for some just free play. Like if they've done really well, I mean I guess you can consider it like a recess model, but um, they do want some either complete independent play. So there I've experienced where students are like, you know, I'm I want to do what I want to do. Like I don't want to continue to always have to collaborate. Can I just build something that I'd like to build? So we give them that opportunity to do something independent. Um, or to try out a skill because then they realize like wow someone else knows how to do this you know can I have this opportunity um, but again I think it's very much similar to how both Diane and Barry has mentioned which in they have a specific task that they need to do or they need to think about the constraints and then can go back in the the built environment or the go back and collect information or experience something one of the things that we consistently do is um, address scale so each of our students begins to understand what a one meter cube is and it's pretty interesting our students are a lot younger and that we deal with intermediate and um, ele elementary and inter intermediate students and we had somewhere like that one meter mark is across their mouth so of course we didn't tape their mouth shut we, but we put the tape so that as they go around the physical environment environment they can then begin to understand building and scale. We leverage our Chicago model in our atrium, but then really just get them to understand it. And, and again, when they've done really well, we'll give them the opportunity to go ahead and have some free play. Yeah, so that's interesting. The uh, you, you kind of described, um, and Barry too, described your, your structured activity and then a more open, autonomous activity. Mm -hmm. Did you see any difference in like the student learning and maybe engagement and, and any differences between the two when you when you compare the structured activity versus the more open autonomous activity? Hmm. You know, it's definitely something that I'm finding fascinating and want to look at more. So we're about to start doing open studios, more providing Minecraft opportunities that are not as structured because I feel like it's great to learn what are some of the potentials and capabilities around what can happen in Minecraft. But I think one of the things that I have noticed is that um, some of that the teamwork and the collaboration is not as present if you're just working on your own or building something. Um, so they're not, um, and, and what I, but if they run into something, so I think when you give them a task, they really begin to find out what where the strengths are in the classroom. So with each of our camps or experiences, 
we we don't know any any of the students' prior experience if they've used Minecraft on a computer, if they've been using it on a cell phone, on an Xbox. So we take everyone, regardless of their ability, through a tutorial world and then port them into um, whatever world we're we're using. So the thing about allowing them to kind of um, build within a problem or a challenge is you also begin to see the skills that student has. And I don't know that you would really be able to do that if everyone worked in isolation. So they're able to see, and that's also part of the culture as we introduce ourselves and tell our real name and our Minecraft name, they're able to share what they build. But I think in that building process, when you're working together, you really get to see who's a strong builder, what, how they approach a problem and design. And then there, what we see happening is they take that and they know who to target and go back and ask for information. Nice. And I would just add that, you know, like all games, Minecraft has certain affordances. And some of those are actually educational affordances. So the ability to build and construct, the ability to, to collaborate. And so to the extent that we design our educational programs aligned with those affordances, the more successful we'll be. And to the extent that we try to program counter those affordances, the more we're going to be you know, essentially swimming, swimming upstream. So if I try and create a, uh, an educational program with Minecraft and I don't give the youth the time to build, well, boy, I'm going to have a hard time getting the youth to be engaged and getting them to do what they think they're supposed to be doing in that environment and doing what I want. So I think you know we each have our own educational goals, and that'll change by project to project. Mm -hmm. That'll be true for people listening as well. But to the extent that we can understand what, how young people use Minecraft and how Minecraft is designed to be used, and what what it allows us to address in ways that we can't do with something else, um, the more that our programs are aligned with that, the more successful they'll be. Yes, I agree. I mean, I think one of the things um, when you designed a program, I mean, I shared. You know, we hadn't anticipated the issue with the villagers that I shared earlier about them being either confined to prisons or buried. Is that um, we really start thinking, well, wow, let's learn from how they're already using the game and what are some of the what can we learn from that. So I think some of the free play is very informative to us because you know I we use the one of the things that stands out to me is we have um, in Millennium Park um, a very significant fountain called Crown Fountain where it has all these faces that are projected on the screen and the architect who developed it I don't think expected it to be a sprinkler where people would run through it but that's exactly what it is I mean kids show up in their swimsuits and their parents let them you know frolic in it and so I think one of the things is it's great to create a world but then allow them to share with you kind of going back to Diana's point like well, wait are we getting too far why do you need the police if we don't even have our norm you know some of the stuff is just to begin to learn from them because I find that they're constantly teaching us so much and so um, we've done focus groups but I really I feel like with the fact that we're going to be just doing some open studio and allowing them to build just to kind of see um, what are some of the things and how are they pushing the limits. That's um, Randall. If I can bring up the question that we got through the through the chat that we can see, um, a lot of what they're describing, Barry and Gina are describing, kind of relates to what that question asks. Um, sometimes people talk about forcing organized learning in the Minecraft space, where maybe the students see that as their recreational area. What like why do you want to bring that there? And initially, my my thought about that was. Well, you know, if we ask kids to read at school, we don't say sit in these desks in rows and read. We might have couches, we might have comfortable spaces, we might go outside. Those are all spaces or, or situations in which students might normally be recreational or normally be very comfortable. And I don't, I, I think it's not a good thing when we say, let's make students uncomfortable, that's how they'll know they're at school, right? And so the flip side of that is, 
we allow students to be in a space that they have a lot of agency in and that they feel comfortable in and know how to get around in. And it actually, I think, breaks down a lot of barriers. Um, Gina mentioned before, you, you start to see which students have which strengths, which show up in a very different way mm -hmm. inside the game than they will in real life. And then there's kids who won't necessarily communicate out loud in a face-to-face -face environment who will be extremely verbose within the game or even face-to-face -face talking about the game when they're working together. Right, and so it, so a lot of the the dynamics can change, and I think if you take what stinks about school and you force it into Minecraft, yeah, it's going to stink. Yeah, <laughs> but you take what's good about learning, yeah. right? Whether that's in a school or at a museum or at a foundation or anywhere, if you take what's good about learning and you allow students to show you what they can do, what often I see happens is that adults are taken aback and surprised by just how much students can do and how deep their thinking goes and, and their creativity and, and their willingness to collaborate when they're thinking, okay, but how come I can't get them to do that in my classroom? Well, maybe because your classroom is not a blocky 3D world. <laughs> Sorry, that that's our bell in the background. I was hoping to get in before it rang. That's oh, lovely. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so no standardized testing in Minecraft then. That's the Exactly. If if you take the kids in there and make them do multiple choice questions, yeah. uh -oh. why are we here, right? You know, like yeah. seriously that's when kids would be like resentful that they that you came in and ruined my space. Yeah. I actually I think I wrote a blog post about it not that like a couple years ago. Um, in response to something someone had said about this very this very same question. So so those are some things we should try not to do, right, with Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's some things we think should be done that none of us have done and haven't seen yet, but we think there's the possibility for it. I uh, I have some friends and I that are hoping to to see this as maybe a panel discussion that we do, and we're kind of creating trying to create a world that goes with it, but have um, almost like a not a learning management system, but a learning starting platform that is in world, and then you have experiences that you need to do, some of which are outside of the Minecraft world but you can have links inside the world that take you there. So when you've achieved a certain thing, then you're ready to go and do this reflection, which re involves filling in this Google form and drafting you know, a paragraph in this group essay that we're writing. Uh, and then you come back in the world, and then you're off doing some other thing. But that there be some choice built into it, and it wouldn't necessarily be a linear thing, but maybe you'd have to do three of the five things in this area before you'd even be able to go to this other area because there'd be some prerequisite skill that you need to pick up or something. Um, and so something where the kids are in the world and then they only leave the world to do the things they can't do in the world, but that all of our uh, learning standards and, and ob objectives would be met in or out of this world, but, but kind of starting in this world, I think uh, is, a, is a potential that we maybe could look into. I would say one of the things that's, that's been for us is that, um, you know, I might have these ideas of worlds that I'd like to create, but then, to be honest, there's these learn learning curves, and so any other program that we do, we typically bring in a gamer or a professional game designer that is then also to help, incredibly helpful, as we have a gamer to help with challenges in the world, and then we also um, can deal with any of the maybe um, issues that arise from uh, a mentor standpoint in the game. But I think one of the things that we're, I'm excited and looking about is that um, I'm not always trying to host a server because I'm not always using it. And, and the idea that we could 
begin to venture out from EDU into Minecraft, but a Minecraft world that's built with the, the blocks that, the no-build blocks or some of the, the um, mods that we need. So I'm excited because we've been partnering with um, Dr. Nicole Pinker out of DePaul and DYN and looking at um, can we badge in game? Can we do achievement blocks? What can kids begin to get their own, you know, plot of land and to, like, Barry Sun have his own, run a, run, run a server, or what does it look like for other organizations to be able to come into this world and level up or get opportunities to go to other worlds. So kind of playing with the idea of what would a Chicago Minecraft server look like that could be available and support organizations who might have these eye strains but don't have the gaming or the technical skills to to be able to make that happen or want to do coding and just kind of need some additional support. Because uh, I will say that one of the things you learn very quickly in a Minecraft is just how incredibly talented um, kids are and um, and resourceful. So, you know, they can find a lot of ways. Um, if you're not careful, they'll remod your world on you. So um, we, we definitely want to make sure that... Um, you know, we kind of think around those things when we are thinking around programming. You know what I'd like to see? Yeah. I need someone to cut me back. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when we talk about Minecraft, we talk about it as a game, you know, and it's useful to talk about it as a game. It's something that kids play with. It looks like video games. You, you get them, in, you know, in, in video game stores and whatnot. Um, but it isn't really a game. And, in fact, not only is it not a game, but it isn't just this one piece of software. There's YouTube videos and YouTube culture around it. You can go to any bookstore and see an entire shelf of Minecraft fiction, let alone the fan fiction that, that exists online. You have uh, the, the, the server culture that exists. You have so much that brings the Minecraft culture together with the game just, and gameplay being just one part of it. So what would a learning experience look like that isn't just about the thing we, we talk about Minecraft as a game, but something that really integrates it as a transmedia experience, something that really integrates all of the ways that young people are engaged with Minecraft, um, Dan just wrote in the notes, as a phenomenon, right, about something where you can make videos about it, you can write about it. And it's not just something you can do in a classroom or an after-school program. There's large, vast, enormous communities of people who are doing that. I was just looking at, um, uh, for another pro of our talk I'm doing Thursday, about Stampy. Those who don't know Stampy, he's a super, 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 super famous, popular um, YouTube Minecraft video guy. And uh, his most popular video has been seen 41 million times. That means that from the time I started this sentence to now, 100 people have just watched it. It's that popular. And that's just one person, and that's just one video. So how can we think about how to engage young people in learning all sorts of things let alone all the technical skills they learn. We think about Minecraft not just as a game, but as this hub of media, which young people are 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 are, are uh, navigating uh, and, and constructing um, every day. Yeah, it's really an ecosystem, right? So it has all these different aspects. So it's, it is it is pretty phenomenal. I would agree. Yeah, I would I would agree. Uh, and and I think that you know, kind of Barry hit it on uh, hit it. Uh, Exactly when he said that uh, it's a media, it's a medium. I mean, it's it's not just a game. It's it's something that permeates. You know, it, it's it's um, this this incredible medium that 
naturally engaging that we can do all kinds of things with. And what's interesting over here in LA, I know, I think other parts of the country, we have this uh, Super League gaming. I don't know if you heard about that. They, they have the theaters that they rent out and they play Minecraft in there. So, so Minecraft is permeating our real world and it's a virtual world, but it's also, you know, it's coming into our real world also. So, um, you bring that to the East Coast. I've been reading about it on the West Coast and getting very jealous. <laughs> yeah, I had to come out here. Uh, <laughs> Let's see, back to our, um, our topic is project-based learning, and so I want to ask a, a question about the end results of the projects and the sharing and reflection period of each project, and what has your experiences been in sharing these Minecraft projects out, and what have your students gotten out of that, and what are some best practices there? Well, I have a question for Gina and Barry. Do you all need to slap a grade on stuff? Or is your situation kind of free from that? Yeah, for me, for us, we're free from grades. We It's not an assessment. Um, one of the things that came to mind um, as far as with a project and what the students get out of it or the outcome is we, we dealt with a digital storytelling. So we approached, we, had an ex, we have an ex, online exhibit called Skyline Stories, and it approaches the idea that just like humans, buildings also have a history, they tell a secret, and they have a story. And they they then created um, Minecraft videos. We just did Let's Play videos where they narrated about a building that they, they built and they told a story. So they're able to, you know, think around storytelling, um, building themselves into the story. Uh, so I think what, what we see is just a lot of... Um, you know, with writing and with them, so at the end they end up with a video. So at the end of the camp, they they leave they leave with this video. They make presentations, so they they come away with that artifact. Because I I would say one of the challenges that we have seen, particularly with the EDU, you can't leave with the world. So that is a challenge. I mean, I know some students would like to continue to build and design and collaborate, but uh, they do get to, they do get artifacts from the world that they built or they worked in. But if and are um, moving to some of that to a city server, they would be able to get access to the world afterwards. But um, the artifacts, I would say. And then you asked about grading. We don't grade here at the museum. Um, I can respond to um, Randall's question, but I think you were probably going somewhere. So let me let you do that first, and then I'll, then I'll come back in after if you like. Can uh, Are we going to go to that other question from Twitter, or are we going to respond to this, because I do have a response, but I can wait if you want. No, go ahead, Diane. Um, because I do need to slap a grade on that, um, yeah. I, uh, I have a lot of what's graded be based on reflection, or in the case of um, the design thinking project, the students need to evaluate themselves as designers, the designer who created something for them, so they're in the role of client, and then each one also functions as an independent inspector of a third party's uh, structure. And they're looking at, actually the kids helped me come up with how I should grade it the first time we did this project. They're looking at creativity, they're looking at meeting the client's needs and, and kind of matching their vision. Um, and so it involves a lot of communication, but they've, they've got to respond to how well they feel that that played out. But they also do a lot of reflective writing for me, and they do create screencasts. So in order to showcase the home that they've built for another classmate, they, the, the first group of kids was like, can we do it like MTV Cribs? And I was like, look, I don't care how you do it. you got to make a screencast, keep it under five minutes. And so they, they screencast in first person kind of a Let's Play style where they go through and they show off and they tell why certain things are the way they are because of what their client had asked for. Um, and, I, and I keep trying to emphasize to them, like, think about what you're going to be asked or, or what you're going to be evaluated on. 
Um, but they, they do reflective writing, and that often focuses on what was hard for you, what was easy for you, what's a new thing you learned, what's a thing you already knew how to do that you brought into this experience or used to help someone else. Because there's always that sort of, you can always go ask that other person a question. So I, I try to always have that reflective piece, and that typically turns out to be in writing um, that they hand in to me. And then I can kind of even ask further questions because I always do this in Google Documents. So I'm able to go back and forth with them if I need to. Or if they missed the point on something, I can have them redo that part. So they're always kind of refining their reflection. But the whole point is we didn't just play. We then thought about what our learning was. We thought about what our challenges were. Um, and I do ask them to respond a lot. One of the things we also focus on in my class is the role of gaming and um, engagement and motivation in our learning. And so some of their writing pieces only sort of bring in examples from their Minecraft and other gameplay in the class and also focus on what they know just as being students. At this point in their life, there's one thing they're really good at, and it's school, right? That they're students. That's their, their life and their learning experience. So um, we, we do a lot of reflection, and, and it takes that form of writing or responding or making a video. Yeah, I mean, we have the reflection. I think that's a great point. We, we were require students to reflect and think around that. But I think now that we've taken and developed our first Minecraft challenge, um, it's on a path platform that is a design thinking and badges students. Um, so it can be used to for educators or mentors to evaluate work because it has the rubrics already built in and it has the reflection so they can decide to, you know, um, do model making. They use Minecraft how they, you know, as the tool to render their final product. So it, it gives the information that an educator or even, you know, in non-formal learning spaces can evaluate or badge it or recognize it. So whereas we don't give a letter grade, we do badge our programs. And so um, if there's a particular skill, like I was saying, the digital storytelling or the dispositions for collaboration, students will get badged. So they do get achievements, but they don't get a letter grade. I come from a, a youth media background pedagogically, um, so it, it's something we've been able to explore to my great excitement in the recent years of the museum of backing things that go out to the public that youth have been part of developing. So for example, this past week we opened up a new exhibit of microbiomes and there's a card game Gutsy that was co-developed with young people. So that's something we have done. But at the same time, we haven't felt that the work that we've been able to do with youth in Minecraft has met the high bar that, that we require to push out into the world. And one of the things we've been asking ourselves is, can we get to that bar? Will Minecraft only be something that we keep within the walls of our museum, and youth can come here and learn a lot through Minecraft, but whatever they produce will be just the digital version of you know sticking it on your, your fridge at the end of the day? Or can we open up those walls? Can we let in people from outside the museum, produce things in a Minecraft server for other institutions to be engaged with, and produce something that's at that high caliber that we expect for public education uh, for an institution like ours that will teach people about science uh, and engage them and give them the opportunity to do things that align with the affordances that, that Minecraft uh, brings with it, but at the same time hit the, the, the high content and quality expectations. Um, that would be exciting, I think, to really take advantage of what it means to use one of the things that Minecraft allows with these public servers and to be able to take that material outside that into other non-game spaces like, like YouTube. Um, but we, it's still an open question for us at this point about whether we can do that with Minecraft. And it's something I look forward to exploring further. Yeah, we, we have not used um, Minecraft as far as on an um, open server. It's been within programs, and so we 
and I think because for our model or how we approach it, we definitely want a mentor. And whereas we could do online mentoring, we just that's not an aspect that we've gone so much into with Minecraft. So we deal with that inside of the classroom. Um, but would be interested in seeing what we could do as far as with with an open server. But for the most part, students are accessing it while they're in our programming space. Okay, I, I guess you, uh, that addressed, uh, Mimi Ito had a question on Twitter and I guess she just answered uh, part of it, but the question is, has any of your programs been on openly networked servers or openly local uh, versus only local kids? Um, Diane, did you have a response to that too? Yeah, so when I first started using Minecraft with my students about three years ago, um, I uh, just ran it off my computer that I was also playing on, the server, and it was just on our local network at school. Uh, but then I wanted to be able to have the students to be able to spend more time in our world from home because they only met with me four times a week. And so my net admin guys helped me set up uh, a network server so that basically they could connect from home. But the, the limitation on that is that I set them up on their, we, we were bring your own laptop program and I set them up on their laptops with the software they would need. Um, there's on the one hand, um, if, if schools are going to be able to use, and I'm talking about you know traditional school brick and mortar type settings, are going to be able to use Minecraft, usually they're finding that the Minecraft EDU option for them is more economical and uh, more doable for a number of reasons, right? Rather than just kind of somebody setting up a Minecraft server and, and going, hey, anybody come on and join us. And schools tend to be very um, restrictive and, and, and careful, right, erring on the side of caution when it comes to letting people come and play on their servers. I think that places like, uh, now, Gina, you mentioned you work for a foundation, uh, Barry, you're at a museum. I think organizations like yours and like libraries, I think have the potential of maybe opening that, that world up, you know, having, having a server that you could have people from all over. I mean, I've been able to allow guests to come in and join us. One time last year, Joel Levin came in and played with me and my kids um, and, and did some crazy things that they had to go figure out what he was up to while he was in there with us. Um, but I've had other people occasionally join just for a little while. But even still, I mean, I can't just just say, hey, world, everybody go download these files mm -hmm. and now join us in our, in, in our world. I mean, it would be crazy chaotic. Uh, I, I wouldn't be allowed to continue using it if I took such risks. And most most teachers would just be overwhelmed by the idea of that. So that's, I mean, but I think that the potential exists and it would be very, very cool to try something like that. I think I just want to point out that one of the things that's important to our mission is this, that um, we're also trying to target a population who typically might not even have access to um, to the technology. So one of the things with the camp that I was speaking of before the civic engagement, we were able to propose, uh, write a, a, a grant through Chicago Hive that funded that work. And so, and we offered it to kids who typically don't show up in Minecraft camps or technology camps at all. So it was a free camp. Um, we also do fee-based camps, but I think in any of our programming, we try and give spots to those who don't have their own computer, can't bring their own device, and they're still entitled and should have access to those opportunities. So whereas I think a, a network server, open server is great, um, I'm concerned about the kids who aren't represented and don't have access and don't have that opportunity. So for us, because we now have, um, we acquired the computers and have a mobile lab, we're trying to look at that through open studio space. And, and, and that's a real important part, is to get kids um, 
who don't have the licenses, don't have it, but would be super interested in it, the opportunity to have access to that. And Gina, just to add to what you're saying, we saw youth in our science-based Minecraft programs that we don't see in any of our other programs. Mm -hmm. that there were demographics that we worked really hard to bring into the museum, and it was remarkable to see how effective it was just by having Minecraft in the name. Uh, bring in young people who we otherwise are struggling so hard to get through our doors and make them feel like this is a space for them and yeah. something they can be engaged with. Absolutely. Okay, so we're heading towards the top of the hour. I want to just ask one more question uh, for all of you. Um, where can people go to uh, learn more about uh, Minecraft and project-based learning and um, get inspiration and, and uh, ideas? Where do you guys go? Well, there's that book that we're seeing over your shoulder there, uh, the Minecraft in the Classroom, the uh, oh, your other shoulder, the green one. I don't know if people can see that. Um, and also, Randall, you mentioned the Minecraft Teachers Google Group um, and, and the community that has come up around that. Um, that's If you just go to Google Groups, you can search for Minecraft Teachers. That's pretty much where everyone who's doing work in this space is hanging out and going and, and talking. Uh, and also the Minecraft EDU um, hashtag on Twitter which isn't just Minecraft EDU users, it's Minecraft in education. Uh, but I think um, looking for like-minded folks at ed camps and at conferences, and I mean, I'm talking to teachers right now, that's a space that, that a lot of educators can find other people. And if you're at an ed camp, you just say like, gaming like Minecraft in the classroom, and you will get people. People will sit down and be like, I've heard of this thing, tell me about it. And other people will be like, oh, I do that, I'll, let me tell you all about what we do. And it, it ends up being a really, really um, excellent way to just connect with people locally and hopefully through Twitter and other means all over the world. Um, I, I think one of the things, um, as far as to, to get more information, and it was a great leading because it gives me opportunity to make a shameless plug that we're... <laughs> <laughs> We're hosting a meetup next week, next Tuesday, at Chicago Architecture Foundation, where we're trying to bring in educators and have the conversation around around Minecraft. So um, we've CAF, the Chicago Architecture Foundation, has been a convener around things in the built environment. We want to also begin convening and having discussions about what can happen in the Minecraft environment. So we're calling um, educators to come into our space next Tuesday, so that we can get ideas and share ideas with one another. Um, and so that's one thing, but I think um, opportunities like this to hear and collaborate with other educators. Um, I'm really glad that it, it included both museums, foundations, and schools um, because it is a tool that can be used in so many different environments. But and I think we also have the ability to teach and learn from one another. Time, it's time for my shameless plug. Um, <laughs> and if anyone's here this Thursday, which is November. Uh, 12th that I'm going to be on a panel that's actually all about Scandinavian toys, of which Minecraft is. It's a Swedish video game. Um, but the whole panel is going to be about Minecraft, uh, and it's up at Bard College. And if you want to go to it or just learn about the other things that I've referenced that uh, we've been doing here at the museum with Minecraft, we try and document it on our blog. Um, the, our blog for digital learning at the museum later on is called Mooshme. That's M-O-O-S-H-M-E dot org. And you can just search for Minecraft there, and you'll see videos from all of our programs and the youth showing their work. Okay, fantastic. Uh, I guess we're at the uh, close of the webinar now, so let me uh, 
give a few closing words. First of all, thank you all for a great conversation here today. Um, this wraps up our second webinar for this November 2015 series on Minecraft and Connected Learning. But please feel free to keep the energy going on Twitter using the hashtags Connected Learning and CCAMPS. There will also be a full video recording of this webinar available immediately on connectedlearning.tv with other curated content on the way. If you found this conversation helpful, please share it out with your networks. And if you'd like to know about more upcoming webinars from Connected Learning TV in 2015, please visit connectedlearning.tv and sign up for the email newsletter. So that's it for this webinar, and we'll see you next week here for a conversation on learning to code with Minecraft with Joel Levin from Minecraft oh. EDU, hmm. <laughs> uh, Brendan Tromley from the Institute, Institute of Play, and hosted by Dr. Sarah Guthels from the youth coding organization ThoughtSTEM. So thank you to all of you for joining us. Thank you for um, all of you who tuned in today, and thank you to Connected Learning for organizing this and this month of Minecraft. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Randall. Bye-bye.